Of all the miracles Jesus performed, none is more popular than the one where he fed 5,000 men and their families with a little boy's sack lunch. Some estimate that as many as 10 to 15,000 people ate lunch on that day on a hillside in Galilee. The lunch miracle sets up a large body of teaching where Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Jesus chose bread instead of lobster cocktail or filet mignon as a way of identifying with everyday people like you and me. Whether you dine at Panera Bread or eat day-old bread from the local food shelter, Jesus is the bread that sustains your life and mine. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian Davis. Thanks for stopping by. Have you ever found yourself in an impossible situation? One in which there seemed to be no way out. Today, Ron takes us to one of Christ's most significant miracles to remind us that with God, there's always a way out. It's all part of his continuing teaching series, Believe the Miracles of Jesus. And it comes your way next. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to Ron's messages on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From John chapter six, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, The Lunch Miracle. A lot of times the testing of our faith is a resource problem, right? It was with Philip and the disciples, look at how Philip answers the question in verse 7. Philip answered him, Lord, 200 denarii, about a day's worth of wages, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Okay, God bless Philip, but Philip has a scarcity mentality. He, He says, not even a large amount of money would buy enough food to feed all these people just to give them a little crumb of food. And Philip is the guy who's always saying, we ain't got enough around here to do that. I've been in so many church elder, leader, deacon meetings where there's always some blessed soul. We ain't never got enough money around here. Well, do you have a faith problem or do you have a resource problem? Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We ain't never got a resource problem. And when you understand the difference between the source, who is God, and the resource that he uses, which is you and me, you see, if you see yourself as the source, you will always have a resource problem. But when God is your source, you never have a resource problem. And he ironically uses you and I to resource the situation because he owns it all anyway, really. You do understand that, right? We are the stewards, and here he is the owner. We're the managers, and he's uh, he's the owner of it. Philip here is expressing what I call a scarcity mentality. Uh, He's the guy who's always saying, we don't got enough around here, never will, never have. 
You know, he's got a resource problem, as opposed to those who are walking by faith and they understand that God is our source, and they don't have a scarcity mentality, they have an abundance mentality. God always has enough resources to do what He's called us to do. He just wants us to understand He's the source, we're the resource. And this is a hard thing for a lot of followers of Jesus to, to really settle in on. And I think it was hard for the disciples. It was hard for Philip here. And this is why Jesus had to come back to this particular lesson many times over. In fact, in all four of the Gospels, there's not only the feeding of the 5,000, but there's also a story about the feeding of the 4,000. And a lot of, not a lot, but some scholars want to say, oh, it's kind of the same story and the Gospel writers got confused. No, the details are different. You read them carefully. The details are very different. I just see it as Jesus coming back to this lesson Again, an impossible situation. One time it was 5,000 men in their families. This time it's 4,000 men in their families. One time it was five barley loaves and two fish. And the next time it was another combination of the two. They had to come back to this lesson over and over again. Because um, it's easy for us to default into a scarcity mentality when we're facing an impossible situation. Listen, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Your heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You never have a resource problem that isn't a faith problem at the same time. He's the source. You and I are the resource. You get that aligned in your mind and in your heart, you'll have an abundance mentality when you face an impossible situation, uh, not a scarcity mentality. Number three, when you're faced with an impossible situation, think outside the box. Now we move from Andrew to Philip. And Andrew in verse 8, it says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has uh, five barley loaves and two fish, but um, what are they for so many? Now, if the overall disciples who wanted to send the people away get an F, and, and if, if uh, Philip We'll give him an F as well. Uh, let's give Andrew maybe a C minus or a D here. At least he's moving in the right direction. Uh, An Andrew, Andrew, first of all, is always the guy who's bringing people to Jesus. Remember, um, Andrew was Peter's brother. And Andrew was the guy who brought Peter to Jesus. Great example there. He's a quieter disciple. But Andrew first met this guy named Jesus. And he says, I think we found our Messiah. I think the Messiah is here. And he went and he told his brother, Peter. And Peter, you know, comes running and meets Jesus. Wonder, wonderful example. How, how many people have you brought to Jesus in the spirit of Andrew here? And Andrew is the one who finds this little boy who has a sack lunch, whose mommy fixed him a little lunch that day, five barley loaves and two fish that are about the size of a sardine. And, and Andrew, Andrew's beginning to think, outside the box a little bit. He's saying, you know, I, I don't know how we're going to deal with this impossible situation, Jesus, but, but here's what I know. We got a little boy over here with a little bit of food. Doesn't seem like much for all these people, but uh, I don't know, maybe you can do something with this. Andrew is the glass half full guy, while Peter and others were the glass half empty. Andrew's first thought is positive, not negative. And I, I, I'm talking to some of you here this morning, and I'm not talking possibility thinking and motivational speech kind of language. I'm talking faith issues. Is your first default 
in a situation where you're facing an impossibility, is your first default and your first thought negative? We ain't never going to figure this out. We ain't never going to get this paid off. We ain't never, you know, it's just an impossible situation. I've always said for years that a leader's first thought is positive. A leader doesn't ignore the realities and the challenges that are before him or her, but a leader's first thought is always positive, always thinking outside the box, always seeing the glasses half full, not half empty. What can we do given the circumstances here? And it's not just a leadership thing, it's a faith thing. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your first thought and my first thought should never be negative. It should always be positive. What is God going to do in a situation like this? You may be like Andrew and say, I, I, I don't know how we're going to get this done. But we got this over here. What about this little boy over here? Um, the person whose first thought is always negative, is not just negative, that person has a faith problem if he or she calls herself or himself a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not talking motivational language and power of positive thinking kind of stuff, but at some level, we're talking about faith here, a faith that faces an impossible situation with a positive outlook, because with God, hear me on this, with God, nothing is impossible. You either believe that at the core of your being, and it is the default mechanism when you're facing an impossible situation, or you have a faith problem, and that impossible situation may be exactly the test God is giving you to strengthen that faith. So the next time your default is positive and not negative, the next time your, your default is filled with faith and the possibilities that might bring, and not the, the negative side of things. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, so don't go away. Remember this web address, somethinggoodradio.org. That's the place to go to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. When you stop by, check out our digital library where you can search for answers to some of life's most challenging questions. Answers Ron has put together during his more than 30 years of teaching the Word of God. You can also stream on demand absolutely free. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Well, Ron would like to bless you with a great resource today, one that goes along with a series that aired earlier this year. It's called The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Both volumes can be yours today as you invest in the media ministry of Something Good with a gift of $50 or more. That's volumes one and two of Ron's book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Now let's get back to Ron as he shares the rest of today's Something Good radio message, The Lunch Miracle. We're talking about what to do when you're faced with an impossible situation. You consider the testing of your faith. You reject that scarcity mentality. You think outside the box, number four. Give what you have to Jesus and let him do the rest. Let's pick it up again in verse 10. You know, after the, the conversation with Andrew happens, Jesus doesn't comment on any of that. He just says in verse 10, have the people sit down. 
Jesus, who is the miracle-working Messiah, puts the plan into action. Now, there was much grass in the place, so uh, the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. That's just the men. Add their families, and you might have a crowd of 10 to 15,000, maybe 20,000 people that are gathered in this space. It says, Jesus, verse 11, then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks. Let me just pause right there. I love the detail that John gives here, that as Jesus was performing this lunch miracle, he paused to give thanks to his heavenly Father. Do you do that before a meal? Uh, at home, in public? Or, or are you just, you know, real quick to feed your face and fill your belly? You pause to give thanks. Has, has it become a little rote? I know it can. But it's really an expression of faith, and it gets back to that source and resource thing. Before Jesus took food for himself, let alone gave it to anybody else, he paused to give thanks. And I want to suggest there's a reminder in that. The, the, the poet put it well. <laughs> Listen to this. Back of the bread is the snowy flower, and back of the flower, the mill. And back of the mill is the field of wheat, the rain, and the Father's will. Next time you give thanks for that piece of bread, just retrace in your mind the source of it, where it came from. And you'll find yourself going all the way back to your heavenly Father's will. It wouldn't be sitting there in front of you about to nourish your body and to feed your body without the rain, the field of wheat, the flour, and all of that that is here because of the heavenly Father. Just, just a little lesson there that I think is embedded in our story here. And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. I want you to just pause and read between the lines a little bit. You know, Jesus could have taken that little boy, sack lunch, and kind of said abracadabra, shazam, and boom, it all appeared in people's laps. But no, he involved the disciples in all of this. He prayed, he gave thanks, and then he began distributing this to the disciples. And they began participating in the miracle. I, 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 you know, we have to read between the lines a little bit to imagine the chatter that was going on, but they started with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish the size of a sardine, and before long, they're coming back, and they got more and more and more and more and more, and Jesus took this little bitty sack lunch that this boy had and multiplied it to bless thousands of people. I, I say here, give Give what you have to Jesus and let him do the rest. This, this little boy, let's just talk about him for a moment. What, what an amazing little boy. I don't know why he brought a lunch that day, but he did. His mom packed a little lunch for him. He could have said, no, it's mine. My tummy hurts. I need to eat my lunch. 
But no, he gave it away. And when he gave that little lunch away, Jesus blessed it in a way that it not only filled his hungry belly, but it blessed thousands of other people as well. And then the disciples were picking up leftovers afterwards. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. The person in the story that expressed the most faith other than Jesus was the little boy who gave up what little he had. I mean, the generosity coming out of this little boy's heart is quite admirable. And he gave everything. And he experienced the principle of give and it shall be given unto you. And you'll have leftovers pouring over and blessings pouring into the lives of others you never expected. And in the process, your belly's going to be full as well. God will make sure of that. But a lot of us are like little selfish little boy. Am I, my tummy hurts. This is mine. It's mine. It's mine. No, it's God's to begin with. Remember the source and the resource? This boy saw himself as a resource that the source could use to bless everybody and meet a much larger need than his own selfish need. So give what you have to do. When you're facing an impossible situation, and I say this to people facing a, 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 uh, an impossible financial situation, you know, people will say, well, Pastor, I, I can't tithe right now because, you know, well, we're just kind of upside. No, that's, that's the time you need to because you need to enter into God's economic plan here. You give, and then he'll take care of the rest of it. You bring whatever little thing you've got, and you give, and Jesus will multiply that gift in a way that not only blesses you, but it will bless thousands of others. It says that when this happened, verse 14, the people saw the sign that he had done, that sign miracle, and said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Leads me to the last thing you do when you're facing an impossible situation, and that is to feed on the bread of life. Because this is more about just, well, in a, in a power of possibility thinking, you know, motivational kind of way, this is how we face an impossible situation. No, this sign miracle, according to John, was to encourage people to see Jesus for who he really was. And this prophet who is to come into the world is a reference to some prophecy that Moses gave to the Israelites back in the book of Deuteronomy where he said, one day, one day a special prophet will show up. And they're connecting the dots. They're saying that this is the guy Moses told us about. And they're beginning, some of them, they're beginning to see Jesus for who he really is. Now, he goes on in the next, you know, uh, portion of chapter 6 to go into this magnificent teaching where he declares, I am the bread of life. In fact, in John chapter 6 and verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, you're chasing after me because I filled your belly. No, I got, I got a much bigger goal in mind here. I'm here to feed your soul and to satisfy every thirst and every hunger in your soul. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Some of those people got it and some of them didn't. 
In fact, if you fast forward in John chapter 6, verse 66, after this larger body of teaching, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And this is when Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They're starting to get it now. And it all started with an impossible situation that was meant to test their faith, but bring them to a fresh realization of who Jesus Christ really was as the bread that came down from the Father above to feed their hungry souls. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard the little lunch story before but maybe not quite like this. And maybe you're facing an impossible situation, and I hope you can take some things with you today that help you through that time. But more than anything else, I pray that you come to the cross of Christ this morning and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. To see Jesus as more than just a motivational speaker, as a power of positive thinking kind of guy, and see him for who he really is, the Messiah, the Son of God, who came to save your soul by dying on the cross for your sins and rising triumphantly from the grave. Today is a day of salvation. Every day is. You've heard the truth, and now it's all of our responsibilities to respond to it in faith believing. Thanks so much for being with us for today's Something Good radio message, The Lunch Miracle. Ron, great message today. One of the things that stood out to me, in addition to the miracle itself, is everything going on before the miracle took place. I know you have something to say about that. I sure do, and thanks, Brian. You know, all of Jesus' miracles are profound, and he was doing things never done before. And the feeding of the 5,000 is no exception. But what I find equally interesting about this miracle is that 10,000 or more people showed up in the first place. Uh, this, this wasn't uh, an announced event. It wasn't uh, something where they sent out invitations and all these people showed up. Uh, no, this is an indication of just how popular Jesus was and how in demand he was. And it also points us to the beginnings of the jealousy on the part of Herod and some other world leaders of the day. That's the first thing I wanted to mention, but here's another. And I think we should all pay close attention to this. Uh, this was just a horrible day in the life of Jesus. I call it a, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. His close friend John the Baptist had just been executed, and Jesus really wanted to be alone. Uh, if anything, just alone with his disciples. And who could blame him? If you or I or anyone was having that kind of day, the most natural thing in the world would be to either isolate ourselves completely or limit our interaction to a few close friends and family members. We'd feel compassion only for ourselves. But Jesus felt compassion for the multitude, and he met them at their point of need, even though he might have had the greatest need of all that day. Uh, this is just such a great lesson for all of us. Don't let your circumstances dictate your level of compassion. And hey, let me say that again. Don't let your circumstances dictate your level of compassion. This is a beautiful picture of kindness, of love, of unselfishness, and one that I think we should allow God to paint across the canvas of our own lives. 
Amen. You know, that's the beauty of God's Word. There's always much more there than meets the eye. Thanks so much, Ron, for those final thoughts on today's message, The Lunch Miracle. So, Ron, as we wrap things up today, what can you tell us about the next message in your current series, Believe the Miracles of Jesus? Well, Brian, the next miracle recorded in the Gospel of John happened right after the feeding of the 5,000. I I call it the perfect storm miracle. But really, there were about four miracles that took place that evening. The first is that Jesus walked on water. But there's a lot more that happens here. And the story holds uh, relevance for us today. All of us going through storms in this life, and, and, and when we do, God always has a specific purpose for having us endure them. And that's where we're headed tomorrow as we continue this series, Believe. It's all about the miracles of Jesus. Join us then for Something Good as Ron shares his message, The Perfect Storm Miracle. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.